Lord Jesus, would you, uh, would you be present in this place as we open up your word? We ask you, God, to send your spirit so that there would be understanding as to how we apply this worship and, and, and this lesson uh, to our lives. Lord, may every word on our tongues be pleasing to you. We invite you into this place as we seek to grow and mature in where you want to lead us as the church. So be glorified. Thank you, Lord, for all that you have given us is from you, and we are so blessed. And so we thank you and we praise you and we worship you for all that you are and all that you have done for us. And now as, uh, Lord, you instruct us, speak into our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Good morning. Good to be with you today. We get back into our parables series. If this is your first time here, uh, we've been in a series about the parables that Jesus taught us, and we've been in it for some months now, and we're going to continue through May. And today we're going to talk about financial faithfulness. That's right. You know, when preachers talk about money, some people get uncomfortable, and that's okay. That's okay. But Jesus talked a whole lot about money, so it's not really a topic that... Uh, so much comes from my heart, but from his, actually. And we're going to see that here in the text. If you're following along, Luke 16, 1 through 13 is where we will begin as you're going there. This is a, this is a $20 bill, if you can't see in the rafters. Um, it's not mine. It's, uh, it's my youngest son's. He said, Dad, it's kind of funny. He said, Dad... I don't really need this, but if I need it, I'll let you know. So he put it in my wallet. We were going on a trip, and uh, he, he didn't use it, so I took it back home. But, but I'm thinking about this because what we're talking about today is actually financial faithfulness with what is not ours. And, and so it illustrates, I guess, in a sense, a point. How do I treat this? It's not mine. I could give it away, and it would be of no issue to me whatsoever. But I also know Ellings here, and he would see me give it away. But does anyone want this? Kids? Any, any kids? You want to run up here and grab 20? Come on. Yeah, Rick wants it. Jer I, how did I know Jarek was going to do this? Okay, I'm already making someone cry here. Here you go, Jarek. I mean, it's not mine. You can have it. Yeah, you're welcome. Make you uncomfortable? You know, we rightly value money. No, seriously, keep it. Because this is a resource that matters for our needs and wants. In one way or another, it makes the world go round, and that's why Jesus talked about it. It intersects every part of our lives in every way. But we have a very unique story in Luke chapter 16. It's called the parable of the dishonest manager. 
a story about a money manager who gets fired for poor and dishonest work or managing the money poorly. So here's what happens. The, the guy's about to get fired. He's on his final days of his job, and he notifies some of the clients, the borrowers, borrowers of the money he lends, and he shrewdly cuts them a deal. He, he, he tells them, if you pay up right now, I'll give you a discount on what you owe. But there's a catch. In return, I need a place to stay because I'm going to lose my job, and I can't do any other work. This is the only work that I'm cut out to do. So I need a place to stay. And what's unique about this story is that it's very unorthodox in nature because Jesus teaches us about two people with ungodly character to illustrate how we should live in his kingdom. And it seems a bit backwards, and yet there's so much truth in it. I want to dig in, if you'd follow along. Luke 16, starting at verse 1, it says, He also said to his disciples, Context matters here. He's speaking to his disciples. There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions, giving them away. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do. So that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, it's interesting. He says to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. 50% 50 discount if you pay up now. Then he said to the other, how much money do you owe? He said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. 20% discount. Am I doing the math right? Anyway. The master then, this is the twist in the story, commended, commended him for his shrewdness. And then he says this, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves, this is kind of the controversial verse, by means of unrighteous wealth. What does he mean by that? So that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. We're going to pause there for a minute. And when I say minute, I mean long minute. Shrewdness. What, what does it mean in this text? We're going to find out because Jesus gives us some uh, He gives us an explanation here. We're going to find out it's not commending dishonesty. You agree? You understand that? You can nod your head. The parable is not business advice. Rather, it's about using what we have been given, our earthly resources for the kingdom of God. Being shrewd here is a picture of being wise, actually, about future planning. The question, at least the question I want to start out by talking through 
is what has God given me that I must steward for him that will actually in turn benefit my eternity? You know, sometimes Christians don't talk about there being any benefit to us because in one sense or another, we like to be humble, at least in church circles. You agree? But there is a benefit to us, and actually Jesus is going to go on and tell us this. But first, this interesting example that he uses. He says, there are those in the world that are better prepared better with their money, their blessing, their property, their business, their success, than even my own followers. Is that true? Some of the most worldly of people then could be better financial investors and generous with what they've been given, given the picture that they are planning better for their eternity than even believers in Christ. Let me give you one example. There's a guy by the name of... uh, Chuck Finney. Chuck is the guy who started the company Duty Free Shoppers in international airports around the world. And over the years, he's amassed billions upon billions of dollars. And yet, later on in life, he has made it his life goal to give away everything that he has to the tune of giving away, this is what the article said anyway, 375% of his net worth. You do the math. Anyway, but it got me thinking, what a neat guy. He lives in an apartment, lives very, very modestly, and he says he's never been happier. And, and he gave it away anonymously. No one knows if they have received what he has given. And, and another thing it pointed out, he didn't give any of it away to any political groups. Commendable. Maybe. Interesting, though. Now, I bring up that particular story for a reason, though. It's not really the point of what Jesus is saying today, but I want to address this point here. It's easy for us to think, and it's why I wanted to use this example, that I would be generous if I had a lot. And seemingly, the story seems to relate to that, but that's actually not what Jesus is saying here. See, the principle of the parable is not the billionaire example of generous giving. It's much more simplistic and applicable. Look with me at verse 10. Jesus says in his explanation of the story, one who is, everyone should be listening to this, One who is faithful in very little is also, it's just, he's saying it's how it is. If you're faithful in a little bit, you're faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. Verse 11, if then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? So God is asking us a question. Personalize this for a moment. Verse 12, and if you have not been faithful in which is another's, not yours, someone else's stuff, who will give you that which is your own? See, I've always understood this to just simply say that if I'm faithful with what little I have, and that's really modest, right, with just my humble little then one day, maybe, if I'm ever given much, I'll be decent with it. 
But Jesus is saying so much more. And in fact, the focus is somewhere else. What he's really saying is this. If we're faithful in this life with what we have been given in unrighteous wealth, not by unrighteous means, he does not mean that, but unrighteous wealth. In other words, that five I gave Jarek, or that 20, sorry, I gave Jarek, right, is unrighteous. So joke is on you. No, I'm just kidding. I got another five. It's Ellings, too. Um, this is unrighteous in that it's fleeting, it's not lasting, it's not eternal. And yes, it's important in one way or another, but it's, it's, it's not sinful in itself, but it's unrighteous in that we all live in a fallen world, and this could never be perfect and pure. And I think one of the reasons Jesus is pointing this out is he's saying no matter how much you give to in this life, you're never going to be the, wow, you're amazing, generous person. For what you receive in this life and the feedback you get from it or the praise you get from it will never make you anything more than you already are, for all is from God. So again, if we're faithful in this life with what we have been given in unrighteous wealth, then God will entrust us with blessing in his eternal kingdom. Another way of saying it, what I'm doing in this life is an investment in the next. I picture a timeline. This is how we look at life. We've got like birth and infancy, and we've got like elementary years and, and teenage years. I know all about those now. And, and, and then you've got young adult years, and you've got kind of middle-age years, and then you've got golden years like I'm in right now, and, and then retirement years, and, and then you, you have near the end years, and those last days, and then death, and then we just cut it off. That's where we're done. That's how we look at life. We look at it from birth to death, and that's it. Naturally speaking, that's how we see it. And what Jesus is saying is from the Father's point of view, that's a really bad way of looking at life. Because however small it is, or big it is in that matter, what we have is what God has given us to steward. First Timothy 6, 19. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the, my version says the coming age. This says what? For the future. But the coming age is a better, it's a better translation here because what it's talking about is the future in eternity. But it works because it's not just talking about your future here on earth. It's talking about two things. Okay, stay with me here. Two things. Number one, that our eternity doesn't start when you're sitting on a cloud playing a harp like a chubby little baby, like the pictures show you. 
And that's not what eternity looks like anyway, right? Your eternity begins when you have been forgiven and you enter into the kingdom that God has for you here and now. And yet everything we do here and now also points to blessing we will receive in the next life. I wouldn't go as far as saying it's all a test for the eternity because that wouldn't be a very doctrinal way of saying it correctly or accurately. But I will say this, what you're doing now matters because this is all you have. And, and so it goes back to Matthew 5 when Jesus says, store up for yourselves treasures in where? In heaven. Mm-hmm, heaven. Love that. Living for his kingdom doesn't start when you get there. It starts when you enter into relationship with Jesus and you become a part of his family. The general principle, and, and I'll just bring up two, is disciples of Jesus are to be faithful with what's right in front of their face. Church, right here, right now. It, it's easy, see, to overlook the everyday, overlook the, the job we have right now, take for granted what we've been given, just like the guy in the story who had a good job but couldn't do it honestly or ethically or honorably, whatever it is that we think he did, we're not told exactly. But what we do know is he didn't steward it the way his boss wanted him to. And Jesus doesn't get into the technicalities of everything because he has put us on earth for our own giftings. So he's speaking generally to all of us. See, if we fail to honestly and ethically and honorably steward what is already his, if we fail to resourcefully use it for the glory of God and fall into the trap of using it for fleeting pleasure and temporary satisfaction, then what we're already telling God is, this is more important than that day when I come into your presence, even though we are in his presence right now. It's an incredible story about how we treat small things differently than big things. See, we do that, don't we? We treat some things as, you know, they're not a big deal. And God is saying, no, everything matters. Let me give you some examples. I don't have, a mu I don't have much, excuse me. So it doesn't really matter how I spend it. Or in other words, it's not mine, so I can give it away. Or I can blow it. Here's another example. My gifts are not like what my neighbor has or my friends. So they are inconsequential in comparison. So what does it really matter? Or, or this example. I'll invest in the kingdom... I will tithe, I will give to missions when I get a better income or when I grow up or when the Lord speaks to me and the, and the angels come on the clouds and start singing, now it is time to tithe. 
I mean, how many opportunities for us to be a part of do we need to take action, Jesus is really saying to his disciples. You have a, you have a role to play. You've got stake in the game. That's what he's telling us. Whether in your minds it's big or small, a large sum or a small amount, it all matters to God. And I think what he's also saying here is money is nothing to God, for he owns everything. This is small to him. He's not impressed by Chuck Feeney. He's not impressed by Bill Gates or anyone else. It's all his. But rather, what he has given us has been given to us to be a blessing. Here's another aspect of the parable. It's the second thing I'm going to bring up. Disciples of Jesus are called to be faithful in private integrity. See, a lot of what he's talking about, too, has to do with integrity. Being faithful, then, in the little things in life means that what we do when no one is looking, or if our boss isn't looking, so to speak, No, they actually matter to God, for he sees everything. (laughs) See, faithfulness requires integrity. Because what's on the inside is known by God. And will actually make its way to the outside if it continues to go unconfessed. I'll give you some, some proof of this. One of the scriptures that I... I was taught as a kid was this one. I remember my parents saying it to me. It comes from Numbers 32:23. It says this. I get nervous every time I say it. Be sure your sin will find you out. Be sure Your sin will find you out. Now, that doesn't mean eventually everyone will find out about every sin you've ever done. It doesn't mean that. I used to think it meant that. It doesn't mean that. But what does it mean? It means don't be deceived. Don't be fooled. You cannot run from the consequences because sin naturally has consequences. This is why God says don't do it. It has, by very nature, consequences. Like eventually, what you think about in your mind and say in your heart becomes who you are without Christ Jesus. That's the way it goes. And it's incredibly convicting to consider the truth of that and how it applies to the little secrets, the half-truths, the things that we think are really little, but Jesus tells us here are really not very little at all. And what he applies is, Two is eternity. In other words, what you have here, some of it you will take with you. No, seriously. There are some things that we'll take to heaven. Now, of course, we're not talking about material things that can fade away. But what about relationship? What about the fruit we are to bear as believers in Christ as we are a Light for the world to see. Here's one example. It comes from Proverbs 19, 17. It says, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. And he will reward them for what they've done. 
the general principle is the things that we think are little or inconsequential or not popular. Those are the things God rewards in one sense or another in Christ Jesus. See, Jesus often talked about time and talents and treasures, the three T's he often talked about because it intersected everything in our lives. And if we're not careful, instead of it serving us, which God gave it to us so that it could do this, we can begin to serve it. See, I'm very protective with my time. I think you are too. But I also waste it watching Netflix and Hulu and sports and all of these things, right? And looking at my weather app 700 times a day. <laughs> Which I'm not totally feeling bad about. But anyway, I am protective about my time, but I do waste it. And, and giving, oh, I want to be generous. Yep, I do. But I also like the comforts, the things that I have earned afford me. Am I the only one? Be honest, even though you're masked. <laughs> the point is this. Disciples of Jesus are called to be faithful and resourceful with what is not theirs in the first place. Remember the manager was the overseer of his boss's money, not his own. We could call this house money. We could give it away like I just gave my son's money away. We could treat it like that. But Jesus is saying, no, that's not why I gave it to you. And in a sense, of course, having a, having a heart of gratitude towards God and giving is really what he wants us to do. See, our little things, our money and our gifts and responsibilities, they should be used for something that is eternal, serving God, the things we do in relationship to each other and bearing fruit for his kingdom. It's a picture of who we serve in this life and what we will receive in the next because we show every day whom we serve. That's why he closes with this. For that you can say, thank you. Verse 13. Look there with me. Verse 13. No servant. He calls you a servant. He's talking to his disciples. He's master and Lord. No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The point is, you can't do both. Is that true? Yeah, it is. We think about money and resources and our securities. We believe it offers us because we, I mean, we think about it a lot because we think that it will somehow fulfill, that in the end, you know, just give me a chance, I'll try to figure this out. I know more money, more problems. I know that, but I want to try it. <laughs> and God is saying, no, no. There is so much more that I have put you on this earth for. Truth is, 
we cannot master anything that could become or has become an idol without the saving grace of Jesus. Amen? We can't do it. We can't do this. Jesus is fully expecting his disciples to say, whoa, I can't do that, Jesus. I've already struggled with that, Jesus. And he's saying, come to me, all you who are heavy laden, bearing burdens upon your back, thinking that the things of this world and what it offers you can somehow fulfill you, that burden, that stress, doesn't have to be on your shoulders. Rather, rather the pressure is off. It's not yours anyway. It's mine. You don't have to stress. You have a privilege to use it for my honor and my glory, he says. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that freeing? See, I hope, church, that in response to this, before we go to the communion supper of our Lord, where we respond by asking him to come into our lives and responding in faith with understanding that he wants to be present even within us, I pray that we would respond with a prayer like this. Lord, would you guide me and lead me and direct me so that I will manage what you have given me with your interest in mind. And secondly, and just as importantly, Lord, would you take control of my mismanagement because only you can do something like that. So freeing to be able to pray that. And finally this, would you stand with me as I close in prayer and we respond in faith. Would you stand with me? Lord Jesus, would, would I treat the little things as seriously as the big things, because to you, it's all yours, and you're working in ways that I cannot imagine, in ways I do not see, but you're working, and I'm a part of that plan. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are the one who has given us blessing, but you haven't given it to us so that it could become our treasure, but rather for us to be a blessing. And Lord Jesus, this doesn't mean just that we would just give it all away. It means that we'd seek the Spirit of God and its leading to be resourceful in the way you want each and every one of us to be. Wise. With eternity in mind. for this instruction, God. For the burden that our finances and all the other things that come along with that can really be too much. Yet just as we sang and proclaimed, you are our portion when we don't have enough. May that be true of each and every one of us here today. So Lord Jesus, do that work. And may we have the boldness and the courage to pray this in your name. May we have the courage to say, Lord Jesus, do that work in me. For I want to be a part of what you're doing. 
And I want to have your heart and mind as I go about my life. Lord Jesus, may we be a church that stewards all of what you have given us for your kingdom in a right way, in a wise way, but also in a very trusting way. May we be willing to take these steps of faith. This we pray in your name and by the power of your precious blood. Jesus, we pray it in your name.